0: Welcome to Every Moment His. This sermon was preached from the pulpit at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska, and we pray that you are blessed by the preaching of God's Word. Grace, mercy, and peace be to each of you this morning in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Amen. I'd really encourage you to open up to Matthew uh, chapter 16 today, which is page 822 in the Pew Bible. And we're going to walk through this um, confession of Peter and the response from Jesus uh, to Peter and to his uh, disciples. Uh, We're going to see here this kind of dramatic and beautiful revelation of the identity of Jesus which really has been the burning question in the Gospel of Matthew, as who is this one who stills the storm? You know, who is this one who casts out the demons? So we're going to see this identity of Jesus on display powerfully, and also that will lead us to understand the identity of the church as well. And so let's pray together. Oh God, as we come to your word, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear and understand and to believe. Uh, Lord, wherever we are at in our, in our week, in our life, uh, we know that you are the way. And so we pray that you would accompany us now by your spirit, uh, grow us just a little bit more, we ask, that our faith might be strengthened. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we see in this text Uh, Jesus forces the question out. This has been the question going through the gospel. Who is this guy? And Jesus takes his disciples, goes to a different district, and he raises the question. Just puts it on there, puts it out there. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, it's interesting that Jesus uses this title of himself So as he's asking the question, he gives them the answer in one sense because son of man is a very particular title. In fact, in all the gospels, uh, Jesus is the only one who refers to himself in this title, son of man, because it's so particular. Um, The son of man in particular is looking back to uh, something that was said in the book of Daniel, a prophecy, about the coming Messiah, about this great Son of God. And I'll read just a portion of it from Daniel chapter 7 for you. It says in verse 13, uh, Daniel is having a vision. It says, At night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So this character in the book of Daniel and this vision that's recorded that the, the people of Israel would know about, there is this figure who is coming down like the clouds. He goes into God's presence, but he is not apparently the same person as God, and yet people worship him, so he is God, and he is given authority over all nations, and he has a kingdom that will never end. And so, nobody calls Jesus this but himself, and what a striking title to claim for himself. He's saying, I am that one in the Old Testament that was long prophesied about. I am the one coming from the Ancient of Days who is given authority over all nations. Um, So it's a striking thing for him to call himself. But he asks, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And so there's a uh, a couple of guesses. They say, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied... You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Here we have this answer, and I want you to notice in particular that Peter says you are the Christ. What's interesting is in the time of Jesus, um, people had lots of different expectations for a Messiah figure, a Christ. The word Christ just means anointed one. Messiah just means anointed one. And there were many Christs throughout the scriptures and throughout the the history of the people of God. A Christ is just someone that was anointed for a purpose by God. And so there were people who were anointed to be priests, right? They were called to be priests. They were anointed for that task. Uh, There were people who were anointed to be kings, right? Samuel the prophet, uh, called David to be king by God's command and anointed him with oil, setting him aside for a particular task given by God. And so there was all kinds of different types of Christ, and yet there's all these um, prophecies saying there will be a Christ, a Messiah coming, and people were guessing about what kind of Christ that would be. And so there was a huge variance of expectations about what? What the Messiah, the next Messiah, will be. Um, there was people who thought there will be a Davidic Messiah, right? A Messiah like King David. And certainly there's prophecies in the Old Testament that would point um, people to that, and you know many of them, because we say them around Christmas time. You know this, this verse from Isaiah, "For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder." And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And so there was this expectation that there would be a mighty king who would come and free the people of Israel from their oppressors and usher in a new government, right? And so people were expecting, yeah, uh, Jesus, or the Messiah, will come and kick out the Roman oppressors, right, and bring glory back to David's kingdom. There were those who thought the Messiah would be like a priestly Messiah. So, like priests were anointed. They thought they were, the real issue that we have is not a political kingdom issue, the real issue we have is a corrupt priesthood or a broken sacrificial system. And so they were looking for a Messiah, an anointed one, who would be a priest to reform the religious order of the day. And so Malachi 3 kind of talks about this. Uh, It says, "...behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple." And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, the priests, and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. And they then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as, as in former years. And so people were expecting a, a new priest to come who would reform the corruptions in the temple and would bring them back into a pleasing relationship with God and offer acceptable sacrifices once again in Jerusalem. There's other um, ideas about the Messiah that it would be like a prophet And so the idea would be that the people of God had really lost their way, that they weren't hearing directly from God as they did in the Old Testament. Like there was no prophet saying, Thus says the Lord. God had got quiet on them. And so they were expecting a prophetic messenger. And this was also given in the Old Testament. Moses uh, prophesied about a prophet who would come that they had to listen to. And so this is from Deuteronomy 18. Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. I will raise up for them a prophet from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And so people were expecting a prophetic Messiah. A lot of them thought it was John the Baptist, this anointed one who would get to the bottom of it, tell us exactly what God is thinking and saying. Um, But Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the one Christ, the unique Christ. And you are the son of the living God. And so whatever expectations that Peter and the disciples or the people of Israel had about this coming Messiah figure... Peter figures out, or it's revealed to him, that Jesus is all of these, that Jesus is a unique Messiah. He is the son of the living God, anointed for an enormous purpose, not just reforming the kingdom and bringing political peace, not just reforming the priesthood and bringing pleasing sacrifices again to God, not just reforming the prophets, and bringing the authoritative word of God. But he was all of this and more. He was the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so Jesus rewards Peter's answer. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for the father has revealed this to you. The truth of Jesus's identity was revealed by the father to Peter, and Peter confessed it. And so this is what we get to see. Jesus accepts this title, the Messiah, and blesses Peter for it. Jesus is these things. Is Jesus the anointed king? Yes, right? He is the one who God, after he was crucified and raised, God raised him up to the highest place, gave him the authority over all things. He ascended into glory. He is the king not only over ancient Israel, but over every nation, every, every tribe, over every tongue. He was crowned upon the cross, the king, and God honored him greatly, uh, knowing that he is the only one worthy to hold this title, to be the king and ruler of the universe, Jesus is the anointed priest. He's worthy of this title too. He is the priestly reformer who brings true religion back to his people and causes his people to offer acceptable sacrifices again. We see this when Jesus comes. He purifies the priests. He takes it to them. He kicks some of them out of their own temple. Uh, He teaches them with his mouth. He himself offers the great sacrifice. And he himself is the great sacrifice. Jesus enters into this priestly role where he brings people back together, back together with God, and he offers himself as the sacrifice upon the cross. And then he causes you and me to offer acceptable sacrifices to God on high. As we read uh, just early in Romans 12, where St. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship, your right response. Jesus cleansed us with his blood, and then he tells us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God, and he's made us pure so that our sacrifice to God is worthy, is acceptable. We offer ourselves wholly into his hands. And is Jesus the prophet that Moses foretold, the great prophet that all people are to listen to, the great prophet that would have the words of God, the words of Yahweh in his mouth? And of course, yes, yes. He is. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus says as he's sending out his disciples, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Jesus has this authority from God to speak what is true. His will is one with God, and so his word is one with God. And so as we listen to Jesus, we're listening to God. John 6 Jesus says this that it is written in the prophets they will all be taught by God and everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God he has seen the father Jesus explains that he himself has the authority from God because he has seen God himself and no other earthly prophet could ever say that that He was directly sent from the presence of the Father to deliver the message of the Father. Jesus is the Word made flesh. He gives the authority from God. He is the King. He is the priest. He is the prophet. He is the Messiah, uh, the Son of the living God. And so the question that I think uh, comes from this to us today is, Has God the Father revealed this about Jesus to you as well? Do you know who Jesus really is? Have you figured that out? Have you understood it? Have you grasped the implications of the person of Jesus in your life? Um, Not um, too long ago, we were on a road trip, and we were passing a car, and the car had uh, a little Jesus sticker on it. And so as we passed the car, there was a little Jesus kind of sticking out the side. And there was a caption that said, I saw that. It's pointing at you. So it was like this Jesus just catching people, you know, and just saying, I saw that. And I thought, it's so first of all, it's kind of funny. We have to admit, it's kind of funny. But second of all, I think a lot of people... Uh, have that understanding of Jesus, um, that Jesus is kind of a joke. He's a moral policeman, maybe. Uh, He's something to whip other people into behavior, into shape, and he's not much more than that sticker, right? He's not much more. Or people will have kind of like a plastic Jesus uh, hanging out on their review mirror, just kind of moving around, and that's about as much that Jesus is to them. as kind of this plastic good luck uh, device. I don't want to get in a crash, and so I'm going to have this little plastic good luck charm here. And many people have a, a diminished, a small understanding of Jesus, a, a laughable understanding of Jesus, Uh, But they have not really grasped who he truly is. They haven't come to terms with his might, with his love, with his mercy. They haven't taken it seriously. And because of that, their faith is weak because the object of their faith is weak. They have a, a plastic Jesus who can't save. And so their faith is weak too. Their confidence is weak. It's not actually doing them much good. It doesn't change the way they think or what they say or what's going on in their hearts and minds because they have not come to terms with the true Jesus. And unless our understanding of Jesus is is the totally unique, totally essential, totally divine God in the flesh, Savior of the world, King of the universe, the standard of all truth and goodness, the word from heaven, then we don't have the true Jesus, we have an imposter. And to make this even more personal, some people are convinced that Jesus is there, just there for when they need him. Uh, there's been research done on American teenagers in the last 20 years or so that just says most people's conception of God is, is kind of like a butler, uh, especially the younger generations. They're kind of like a butler in the sky. So when things get a little too overwhelming... They treat, they treat him like that butler. They'll ignore him for, for days and months and years, but if they're not happy, then they start maybe asking for some help. They look to Jesus not for their eternal salvation, but for their temporary relief in this life. But it's only when we believe that we are completely dependent on Jesus for everything, for every breath, for our very existence, For any hope of peace and lasting happiness, that we begin to understand that this is the king of kings. This is the one who can actually deliver eternal joy to me. He's more than just a temporary fix. He's an eternal solution. Some people believe that the rebellion of God is just a minor issue that I'm about as good or as bad as the people around me, and so no one's perfect. I admit that. And so I'll call out to Jesus if I really make a big mistake in my life, but they miss that we are absolutely hopeless apart from him. People don't believe this. People don't believe that they're absolutely hopeless to obtain any form of relationship with God, to form to escape condemnation that belongs to them without the Christ. And that's why the churches aren't just absolutely packed. People aren't sorry for their sins. They don't think it's a big deal. Um, Rather, they think they're okay. They think they'll be all right. They'll think they'll make it through. And it's only when we believe that apart from the priestly work of Christ, to sacrifice himself on the cross, that we would be completely condemned. We were condemned already apart from him, that we begin to see his mercy for what it truly is. We see Jesus in greater resolution. Some people believe that Jesus is just wise. He's worth listening to. He's a good teacher. But ultimately, we, we really just need to trust ourselves, you know, be true to our hearts, be true to our own thoughts, And because no one really has access to the truth, you just have to take everything with a grain of salt, listen to wise people, listen to foolish people, and you need to make your own way. And so you need to take a little bit of the Bible, sure. You need to take a little bit of everything. You need to uh, Google some things. You need to listen carefully to philosophies of all kinds. And you need to kind of weigh them up and mush them together together And come up with your own way forward. It's like, you know, if Jesus was really the truth, I don't know about that. It's like kind of like just your opinion, man. But it's only when we believe that we would truly be lost and in the dark, that the world would have no light apart from the words of Jesus. That all things would be foolishness if we didn't listen to God that when we see that Jesus speaks and he has the authority from heaven, the authority to cast out demons, the authority to raise the dead, that we can see, I need to listen to the savior. I need direction from God and Jesus is that direction. And so friends, don't settle for a plastic Jesus. Don't settle for a bumper sticker Jesus. Um, look who's revealed, Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the eternal one from the Father. He is the one who can save us from our sins. He is the one who brings the words from God's mouth. He is the everlasting King. He is the one and only Son of God, and He is the, not only the help of your life, He is your life. There is no future for you or for anything in this whole universe outside of Jesus, outside of his word, outside of his care. Colossians says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds you by the word of his power. This is Hebrews. That's who Jesus is, and nothing less um, Don't take any poor substitutes. This is the Christ, the Son of the living Father. And this was revealed to Peter, and Peter confessed it. This was revealed to you. So you get to confess it too. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you know the identity of Jesus? And if we know the identity of Jesus, uh, we immediately begin to understand the identity of the church Jesus connects these two ideas. As soon as Peter confesses the Christ, uh, Jesus tells Peter who he is. Jesus tells Peter what his role will be and reveals the identity of the church. And Jesus gives Peter three amazing promises here. So listen to them now. One, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, Two, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And three, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So the first one, Jesus names Peter in this moment. You know, it's interesting. uh, A lot of scholars have looked at this. Nobody was named Peter before Peter. Peter was not a common name. You know, it's kind of, it's a little bit of an inside joke. But if you read the gospels, everybody's named Mary, right? Right? There's Every woman is in the Gospels is named Mary. It's a very common name at the time. But everyone's named Mary. It's Mary and Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary the mother of Jesus. There's a whole bunch of Marys going around. But there was no Peters. Peter was not a name given to anybody and probably until this moment. There's no evidence that anyone was named Peter until this moment. And it means rock. And so Jesus, who had nicknamed Peter earlier in the Gospel, little faith when he pulled him out of the lake, now names him again. He names him Rock. So he says, Peter, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, we have to be a little bit careful because this has been interpreted uh, in very controversial ways over the years. Of course, Roman Catholicism believes that this is the evidence for the papacy here. Uh, So we'll gently critique that. If Jesus wanted Peter to be the person that the whole church was built on, he could have just said, you are Peter and on you I will build my church. He doesn't say that. He says, you are Peter and on this rock. So he makes a distinction for some reason. Uh, Second, uh, certainly Peter was the leader of the disciples, but he was not better than the other disciples. In fact, every time Peter tried to distinguish himself As more than the other guys, he set himself up for an epic failure every time, right? So just after this, Jesus will say, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem to be crucified. And Peter says, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Um, Of course, famously, Peter says, when Jesus is going to be arrested, Peter says, I will never abandon you, Jesus. I will defend you even to death. And of course, Peter revealed himself, not as a hero of the faith in that moment, but a feckless coward who needed to be restored. And so whenever Peter is set aside as more than the other apostles, he is destroyed by that idea. Nonetheless, Jesus will use Peter to build his church, as he will build his church on the apostles as well. Jesus will build his church on Peter, the confessor of the Christ. Jesus will build his church on the apostles, the sent ones of the Christ. Uh, It is the apostles that Jesus will send out on the worldwide mission, go and teach everything I've told everyone, baptize all nations. You guys go do it. It's the apostles that will have the Holy Spirit sent to them so that they can remember everything that Jesus taught them and proclaim it to the world. Jesus will build his church on these men. It's these apostles who would be handed over to courts and betrayed by their family and their communities who will be beaten and stoned and even boiled in oil and like Peter himself, crucified upside down. Jesus would build his church on the witness of these people by their life and by their death. They would be compelled to confess that he was the Christ even to their own doom. This is where God would build his church. Ephesians 2 says that we are fellow citizens with saints and the members of the household of God. And we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And in the Nicene Creed, we say, I believe in one Christian and apostolic church. Jesus, the the Christ, the son of the living God, would deputize Peter and the apostles to be those that he would build his church on by their confession, not by their humanity, but by their confession of who Jesus is. Jesus would build his church on sinful humans like Peter, The second uh, promise is that the gates of hell would not overcome this building. And so just as Jesus is risen from the dead, never to die again, never to be dethroned, so all who are in his church, weak as they may appear, are eternal, immortal, invincible, and untouchable. Hell can throw everything it has at you and me But in the grip of God who created all things, nothing can take you away from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not even death. Victory belongs to Christ, belongs to the one and only Son of God, and we belong to him, and he belongs to us. And so the greater you grasp the greatness of Jesus, The greater regard and love you will have for the church, the greater you will understand the mission of the church, the greater confidence you will have in the victory of the church. Some people are surprised when they find sinners in the church. Were you surprised when you figured out that there's a whole bunch of other sinners here? We are shocked by scandal, disappointed. We see the inefficiency of the church as compared to maybe worldly endeavors and businesses, We see petty people arguing over things like carpet and coffee selection. We see ugliness of betrayal and gossip in the church and laziness of the people. And yes, even sinners all around us. And people are tempted to throw up their hands and say, I'll go out on my own. I'll do something else. This is just not worth my time. But they forget Jesus' promises here. As weak as the church appears, the gates of hell will not overcome it. The one who is at the head of the church is the Christ. And so, as weak as we are, as weak as the church is, it is nonetheless victorious. It is nonetheless worth your time. It is nonetheless a mission given to us. We struggle forward, yes, in weakness, but we struggled forward with certain victory on the horizon. And third, uh, Jesus says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind will be bound on earth, whatever you free will be freed, uh, freed in heaven. That is, Jesus gives real authority to Peter here. The keys unlock and lock. They open the kingdom of heaven and they close the kingdom of heaven. This happens again in Matthew 18 and also on the day of the resurrection in John chapter 20. Jesus deputizes his church with real authority. The apostles have the words of God with authority. And let me tell you this, most people simply do not believe this. Most people do not believe that the church actually has authority from God here on earth. And that is partly to do with our consumer mindset and, and the era we're living in. In consumer Christianity, the church is not primarily a community that holds divinely given authority to forgive sins or to bind them to people, but rather the church is a goods and service provider uh, so that we can chase the latest worship trends or we can find the best experience or we can plan our special day. It's not more than that. And so because of this, we lose the confidence of this promise that Jesus gives authority to his church for real. That the church, the apostles, can say definitively what God says, that they can open the kingdom of heaven to people or they can lock the kingdom of heaven. But think about this. What, we, what do we lose? What does Jesus want us to have Jesus wants us to have certainty of where we stand. He wants us to know our status. Think about it. If you were heading on a journey and you had your directions all mixed up and you were going in the opposite direction of where you actually needed to go, but no one could tell you authoritatively where you were going or that you were making a terrible mistake and wasting all your resources wouldn't it be useful to have someone who actually knew the area tell you what's wrong? You'd have no benefit to you if no one told you that. God wants humanity to know where they've gone wrong. That's why he sent Jesus to call us to repentance. That's why he sends his church with the same authority. Similarly, God wants us to know when we are free. Wouldn't it be an unsurpassed blessing if you could know for certain that your sins are forgiven? Wouldn't it be an incredible peace in your heart and your mind if God himself spoke to you and said, we are reconciled, we are good. Uh, Once I had a man in my church, my last church in Canada, who who heard what the pastor say at the beginning of service, I forgive you by the authority of Christ. And he said, no one can forgive sins except for God himself. And those that Jesus gives the authority to do so. Jesus gives this authority to Peter and to the apostles and to the church so that we can know for certain that our standing before God is clear and clean, that we belong to him. Wouldn't it be an unsurpassed peace in our hearts if we had that spoken into us week after week, that the shepherd said to you, your sins are forgiven? Well, friends, you have that. And so in the name of Jesus and with his authority, I tell you that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope it was useful for you. If you found this particular useful, you can share this episode with friends or family. You can also subscribe to our podcast and whatever platform you're using, or give us a review that really helps other people find our podcast. This is also a teaching ministry of Holy Cross in Kearnington, Nebraska. And so if you do not have a church, we would love to welcome you into our community to build you up and to share the joy of salvation with you and the rest of the members here at Holy Cross.